Thank you so much, and um, thank you to the City Club of the Mahoning Valley for inviting me here, and it's great that we have a packed house here. Um, first of all, I would like to introduce Kira Walker, who's a student and also a member with Mahoning Valley Sojourn to the Past. Um, Kira, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about um, why this topic tonight is so important to you? I came here to talk about this topic because, of course, uh, it correlates to the past tragedy that we have had in Parkland, sadly. Um, in Parkland, Florida, if you don't know, um, 17 people were killed in uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Um, two teachers were killed, um, the rest were students. Um, I came to talk about this because, um, frankly, um, I wanted to, first I want to tell you my reaction about to when I first saw this on the news. When I first saw this, I, I really hate to say it, but I was numb. I had already seen it too many times from, for it to even have an effect. I cared about it, but it didn't, it didn't strike me because I had literally grown up with these events time after time after time. And um, I want to talk about this issue because um, I am a student, and uh, this issue concerns me because I don't, want to live in a world where school shootings are just, it's, it's the norm. I don't want to be acclimated to something this horrible. And I believe that something, even just the tiniest thing, I think can be done. Thank you so much. Okay, Jackie Mercer is an educator. Jackie, can you tell us more about yourself and why this topic obviously is so important to you as well? Yes, uh, my name is Jackie Mercer. I'm an English teacher at Crestview High School. I've been at Crestview for eight years. And obviously this topic hits home for me because I interact with my 150 students every day throughout the entire school year. And um, as she was saying, you know, I remember when Columbine happened, and we hadn't heard of school shootings happening at that point. That was an anomaly. And now it seems like, you said, we see them happen all the time, to the point where it, sometimes it becomes more of a statistic on the news than something that, you know, we focus on. Um, so I thought that this was an important conversation. Um, I teach in a very conservative area where people are... Um, very much supportive of the Second Amendment. And so it's a kind of interesting situation that I'm in, and so I, I think that it's a good conversation to have. All right. And John Vogel, um, treasurer of the Western Reserve Fish and Game Association. John, you want to talk to us a little bit? Tell us more about yourself and, and why this topic, topic is important. Yeah, uh, Lynn told me to keep it at least at 17 minutes. <laughs> um, I, I'm a retired business person. I'm the only admitted Democrat in our club. Uh, I, I do work with a competent and um, refreshing team that teaches concealed carry monthly. We've put over 500 responsible adults through our program in the last two years. Uh, we have visited two of the sheriff's departments to discuss our program. We were fully vetted by one of the departments we meet the standards in this state. Um, we, our club is an activist club. We have 200 members uh, that are dues-paying, and we probably have another 60 members 
that are what we call life members, and that's the ones who have to make sure we know where the restrooms are because when we drink a bottle of pop, we have to pay a quick visit. Um, th- this idea of uh, what went on uh, back in February, make no mistake about it, everybody in our club was shocked and dismayed. We recognized that monsters don't hide under the bed, that they're out in society. Um, one of the reasons why our club wanted to be here was is to let you know that the responsible law-abiding gun owners in the state of Ohio recognize our constitutional right, but also recognize our constitutional duty. That's enough for me. All right. And I guess I have to hit this now. We're going to have 30 minutes of um, question and answer with our panelists, and I will be asking the questions, and they'll give us some answers to some of those questions. (laughs) Okay, the first question I have for you, can each of you specifically weigh in on what, if anything, should be done to regulate firearms in the U.S. beyond current laws? And Kira, do you want to go first? Uh, sure. Um, first, uh, we want to ban semi-automatic rifles that fire high-velocity rounds, and we want background checks for every time a gun is sold. All right. Um, how about you, Jackie? Um, well, my husband and I are gun owners, so we believe in responsible gun ownership. And um, so I, I think that this presents an interesting question as far as where do we go with laws that do not tread on the Second Amendment. I think that's, that's the question. And so I, I would like to see the banning of weapons that, that don't, in my opinion, need to be in the hands of everyday people. Um, I think that you know handguns and rifles and shotguns that are used for different purposes have their purpose, and that's fine. But I, I do worry about having weapons like what have been used in um, these different school shootings. I I also have some concerns about loopholes that exist when people can go to gun shows and buy firearms without background checks. Now, do I think that that's the entire solution? No, because criminals don't follow the law. So, I mean, I I think that there will still be issues, but I think that those would be some steps to maybe help alleviate some of the issues that we've had. All right. How about you, John? I I get concerned when people want to identify single pieces of machinery and uh, use them as a scapegoat for a uh, problem that is uh, behavior-oriented and um, relies more on the individual's reaction than it does the mechanics of the device. Um, A shotgun is actually a much more effective killing tool in a confined area than a rifle is or a pistol. Um, Not to get too morbid or too graphic, if I'm a bad guy and I come up on a closed door with a rifle, I have to shoot that, right, that door to pieces with that rifle to get in. If I use a shotgun, I could literally remove the wall. So that, that may not be an answer. I also get concerned when we want to try to paper over a legal issue by writing more laws while ignoring efficient laws that are already on the books. The background check works. The loophole is something that can be handled administratively. It doesn't require new legislation or uh, any grand acts and dramatic gestures. You simply go to the um, promoters 
and have the promoters establish a federal firearms licensee as the broker for all gun deals. At the gun shows that our club participates in when we sell tickets and promote our programs, including our youth programs, they frown on um, person-to-person sales. And stop to think about that. The gun dealers are paying a premium price to rent their space for two days. They get more than a little cheesed when two-gun Charlie walks around up and down the aisles and he's selling a gun that uh, takes away from the sale of the person who has paid for the show. So it, it, it's uh, a significant problem that can be addressed simply by going to the promoters. Uh, I also worry about the idea of this legislation with 485 or, uh, that's coming up, and that's a four- or five-pronged package of bills that uh, was written on one day, and about three days later, a hearing was set in Columbus. It's 103 pages long, and most of it is legalese. I, it, logistically, that was impossible to do. Um, and it may be a red herring in that um, it may be a misdirection of purpose. It was sponsored by a Republican, not a Democrat, which should make you worry right off the bat. Um, and it's a single sponsor. Usually when a hot bill comes to the floor, everybody in their aunt and uncle wants to jump on board. This Mr. Hen from southern Ohio is flying this airplane on his own. Some of you, some of you may be on ex- extremes on either side of the issue. Um, I just want to tell you right now, I do not... Some people may say, oh, well, if you just abolish the Second Amendment, this will be solved. No, that's, that's not happening. We, I don't support the abolishment of the Second Amendment. We can be a safe nation without completely removing the Second Amendment. It's just where, where do you cross the line and where do you set boundaries? There's also been some interesting things. If, if you really look and um, explore all of these shootings that have happened and look back at the individual shooters and the information um, even just on the websites how um, information has not been put into the computer systems quick enough about their backgrounds um, to stop them from legally purchasing the weapons and it also seems like there should just be just a secondary check to make sure um, that that information is input into the computer systems quick enough to to stop them from being able to purchase those weapons. Um, I was researching some information last night, and it was just case after case after case where several of the shooters um, should never have had their hands on guns legally, but they were legally able to purchase because of human error, um, and, I mean, it's a shame. I, I suspect that there was purposeful non-reporting, and that's because while the uh, NICS system says uh, the background check should include all pertinent data, remember that in the real world, doctors and other professionals are weighing business consequences against moral obligation. And I worry that sometimes the doctor or the doctor's business manager says, you know, HIPAA is a nasty thing to run up against. Maybe you, not, you don't want to report somebody's on a certain medication or somebody has come in to talk to you about uh, certain antisocial behaviors. 
And so the doctor says, okay. And he, he deliberately stays out. Now the rules are there. And this is a case where I, I said before, throwing more rules on that isn't going to address the problem. We need to reach out and make sure that the professionals have the protections they need in order to make that system work as best it can. And then also to make sure that bench warmers don't just polish the furniture with their posteriors, that they do the job that they were hired to do and they do report. Of all the proposals, solutions, armchair quarterbacking accompanying the current debates about school safety, which strike you as plausible and which as just bad ideas? Um, Do you want to go first, Jackie? I think that arming teachers is a bad idea. I'm just going to put that out there right now. I'm a responsible gun owner. I don't want to take my gun to school. First of all, if it's one of my students who is the perpetrator, I don't think I can shoot that kid. I don't know. I don't want to be put in that situation. I also believe that I am a responsible gun owner. I only carry my weapon if I feel that I have been at at the range enough or whatever that I'm proficient enough to use it correctly because I believe that is the agreement that you go into when you carry a weapon. And I I wouldn't want to take the chance of hurting another child. And so I I really struggle with that. Um, I also didn't get paid enough to carry a weapon. So there's that. But um, I I do think, you know, in in our district, I can only speak to my own district, we've taken a lot of steps um, to up our safety at our school. So we do have resource officers. We have um, off-duty sheriff's deputies who are in the building. And, And so I think that our school does take safety very seriously, but I do not believe that arming teachers is the answer. It may seem like a good idea, but... It takes, it, pe- teachers have syllabi to grade, they have papers to grade, they have syllabi to organize, they have all this stuff, and on top of that, you're going to train them to arm themselves? I just think it, it's, it's just a bad idea. How about you, John? Well, back in the 1970s, when we had to walk to school and home uphill both ways. In the snow. In the snow. Well, yeah, in April. Um, so I remember that. I, I actually taught English in Youngstown. And um, I still have a collection in one of my file drawers of the various um, interesting instruments that youngsters were using back then to try to inflict harm on each other. But we had the advantage that we know nobody was pulling guns. Um, Interesting, along with what you said about teachers being able to go up against their own students. Not only our club, but several organizations offered concealed carry classes two teachers in the last two months, enough that we probably could have covered a pretty good, pretty good segment of the, the uh, teacher population. None of us that I know of held one of those classes. They, the, the teachers, I, I had an opportunity. My daughter-in-law is a teacher. We attended a birthday party at her house. I spoke to four teachers from four, distri- four different districts, and I was told point blank that there's a... Uh, definitely a philosophical gap between some administrators and boards and the teachers. The teachers do not want to carry guns. They don't want to touch them. That's their right. And it's reasonable. And you made the best point. How am I going to shoot a kid that I just assigned a term paper for? First of all, he's going to be late turning the term paper in. 
But I mean, and those are those are the split decisions that have to be made. And who's to say that if like you, that even if you've like just like received like some classes on concealed carry, well, who's to say that you're not gonna freeze? It takes. Oh sure. Yeah, you have to train people not to freeze in that type of situation. I, I would suspect that the training curve would be pretty short because there won't be a lot of volunteers uh, on the student body to come in to run those kind of drills. So it, and it, so it would be a, a, a theory, theoretical thought experiment that you would be conducting in that case, and you just don't know. If you talk to a teacher who says, beyond any reasonable doubt in his or her own mind, I could drop that kid in a New York second then maybe somebody needs to look at that teacher and report him under the, uh, the Red Flag Act. I mean, it, it's, it's a, a, a bad mix. I would think the schools that are instituting a training program for defensive training, marking out the territories in the classrooms that are out of the line of sight, the schools that have resource officers, good for them. The police departments that refuse to put schools or put resource officers into schools because of their budgetary reasons, cut it out. There's over $2 billion in the rainy day fund. Do the math. $1 billion, if I remember right, doing some quick numbers, would allow you to put about 12,000 police officers in the field. If you used retired officers or even active officers, think of what an impact that would have if every county has about 20 schools in its uh, boundaries. There's 88 counties. We would have more police officers than we have buildings. So the, the, the tools are there. The money is there to do it right. Um, we just need to get over it and let's start spending money wisely. Well, and although I think, and I think that's part of the issue is, is that it's, it's a knee-jerk reaction. You know, I had to go in and talk to my kids. And, and I think that Parkland hit my students harder because it was high school kids. And then those high school kids put the videos on Snapchat of what was happening in the classrooms as there's an active shooter. And my students are seeing this. And I had students coming to the school the next day asking, what if somebody, what if somebody comes in here? What will we do? You know, and, and that was the first time they had really asked those questions. Um, and I think that districts panicked, like, okay, we, we really do need to do something. And so that's where we start with, oh, we're going to let all of our teachers carry guns or we're going to do this or that instead of looking at maybe taking a, a breath and, and looking at some better solutions. Are zero tolerance policies working in schools? Is that enough? I don't know that zero tolerance pol- policies are the answer either because if... <laughs> Sometimes you have a kid that has issues, and, and this goes back to the mental health piece that you mentioned earlier. You know, sometimes they have issues, but they're, they're harmless, and you don't know. I mean, obviously, a lot of these cases you don't know until after something has happened that it's going to be a problem, right? I mean, people will say, oh, I suspected, but until someone acts, you, you don't necessarily know. You can't predict what they're going to do. And so I think sometimes zero-tolerance policies, they put kids in bad situations that really need help and then don't necessarily get that help because now they've been removed from the school, they've been removed from people who can help them. And so that's, I don't, you don't want to sacrifice the safety of all of the kids for one kid, but on the other hand, too, you also don't want to lose that one kid. It's... It's not like a black and white. This is this is an issue which is, is slippery slope. There is layers to this problem. Had it, if it is only like one issue, we, then this talk would be a lot more easier. But uh, yeah, this 
issue has layers, what you said with the no tolerance. It m- might seem good, but there's, there's advantages and disadvantages to that as well. Because if that kid needs help and you just shut him out, that's already a lost cause. Could that make them more angry, you think, sometimes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you did not, if you didn't even try, you just like shut him out because you thought he was too dangerous. I think that that can sometimes be as dangerous as... Mandatory sentencing has already been proven not to work, right, across the board. It takes away judicial discretion. It takes away the idea of redemption. The primary concern of education is just to get a youngster ready for uh, an adult, a productive adult life. If a box cutter drops out of my backpack, and I, I have to report to work right after school. You're going to throw me out for my life. I'm going to have to go enroll in a private school. I immediately get a mark on me that won't let me go into the military, may not get me into a college o- over a minor incident. The, this idea of zero tolerance is a vote getter. It's not a practical application of educational goals, and, and we need to understand that. Yeah, it's too simple. Like, it's, yeah, it is too simple. Like, yeah. no tolerance. Like, you, you have to take things into account. Okay, background checks won't end gun violence, but they might help in keeping guns away from mentally ill criminals and domestic abusers. Do you think that a more robust background check system would prevent at least some gun violence? Yeah. I think it could. I mean, we want... In order for these things to be prevented, we're not, we know we're not going to prevent every single violent event like this that comes afterward. What we want to do is reduce the frequency in which this happens. And I think more vigorous background checks would help in passing legislation and just strengthening the laws we have already and to make sure that these powerful weapons don't get into the hands of people who have had history of mental health issues or like a serious crime? Um, I, I don't know. I, I think that we covered that a little bit earlier. Um, I, I do think that there are maybe there have been some people who have that things haven't been caught through background checks. But I've also had to go through background checks for weapons, and and I think that they are pretty thorough for the most part. So, you know, if something's not reported and and doesn't end up in in someone's um, history to be found in a background check, then I, I don't know how it would be discovered. I, I do worry if we go too far with that. I mean, you, you can't convict people of a crime before they've committed the crime. So I worry that if we ho- go too far in the other direction um, of, of getting have these, having like really intense background checks or, or whatnot, um, that could also become problematic. Standard background checks that exist now are pretty darn good. Uh, when you go in and you uh, apply for a firearm, they do a pretty quick uh, background check based on your social security number and a couple other identifiers that you, you submit at the time of the purchase. And um, while it's an instant background check, there are many computers feeding that data in. When you apply for your first concealed carry, you submit two photographs within one month of the date that you walk in for your uh, license. That background check is based on fingerprints, social security, 
They check two different sources for criminal background. If you've done anything wrong from the time you were born until the day you walk in, they know it. It's not, oh, my juvenile record is sealed or I have an expungement. My record was sealed. The background check pierces that. All right? Now, they may not be able to exclude you based on the data that they see there, but it will certainly make them look at other information. Ohio, we're an example for the country on how things work right on this. Ohio is a shall-issue state, and we stress this in our class. It's at the sole discretion of the sheriff whether he's going to issue an individual a license based on the information that has come over that background check. If the sheriff denies... He has an obligation to inform you why. It will take you and two or three attorneys that you see on TV every night to get that sheriff to change his mind. Well, so, when, you apply, I mean, I, when you apply for a CCW, it doesn't just come back right away. It's oh, no, 30, it's about, to, 30 yeah. to 90 days, isn't it? It's about it? three weeks right now. Yeah. Mahoning County has a um, better system, not better, but a, a, a little bit more efficient system than Trumbull has. Um, Mahoning County actually has... A, um, a part of their building dedicated to uh, coming in to get your concealed carry. You walk in, there are usually four people in the office to handle, so the crowd moves pretty quick. Uh, and it's normal business hours. Trumbull County, you have to go up on two certain days. It's not really convenient, the times. And um, it's, it, it's a waiting process. The second license and not out, they're pretty easy. But that first license, when they're doing that detailed background check, you're going to get a little older waiting for that license. And you're not allowed to carry concealed during that time frame. You know, just because you go in and you pay, pass a concealed carry class, whether it's a detailed class like we teach or a, an FBN class, fly-by-night class that you take off of the Internet, you don't get to carry as soon as you put that last correct answer down. You wait until that background check has been uh, vetted fully. All right. Thank you so much. We're going to move on now to the audience portion of the question and answer period. And we have a lot of audience members here, and I'm sure some are chomping at the bit to ask a question. So who wants to be first up? Say your name for us and what community you're from. Sure. Uh, my name is Wendy Merkin. I'm a teacher at Cheney High School. Hi. Um, I'm, a high school, I'm a history teacher, so I, I'm fairly confident in my knowledge of the Constitution. And first of all, to you, I'm sorry, I forgot your name already. I am so sorry that you grow up in a society like this. My generation has failed you. Um, Sir, my question is directed at at you mostly. The Constitution, and I have great respect for our Constitution, and I have great respect for the men that wrote it. The Constitution, one of the beautiful things about it is the fact that it can be changed. Our founding fathers knew they weren't perfect to create these laws. When the Second Amendment was written... People were firing single-shot, musket-loaded rifles. And if you were good and active military, you could load that four times in a minute. Why is it that when we talk about things like gun control, the Second Amendment is the one amendment that we are not allowed to change? First of all, I'm going to need a couple minutes here. Uh, and I, you know, if it sounds like I'm attacking, I'm not. But I, I need to be a little forceful in this. Um, the Second Amendment, at the time it was written, was muskets. Yes. But you have to remember, the private citizen's firearm was probably a higher-grade firearm than the military had. Sure. 
if you read back at the Federalist Papers and other papers that were written concurrent to the Constitution to understand what was going on, uh, some guys were really militant about the right of the citizens to carry arms and the reason for it. It wasn't to go out and shoot a turkey or a deer. It was to defend the other nine amendments of the Bill of Rights and the Constitution and to protect against tyranny. But at the, the time, the British were coming. No, no. The, the Constitution came, was ratified after the British had said, we'll see you later. War of 1812. Okay. But it, it was still, we won, we won one round one at that time when we were a recognized nation. Um, second, second point. Um, you are correct in that the Constitution is a living, breathing document. You can add or delete amendments. I think we have 27 amendments to the Constitution right now. But remember that the Founding Fathers also made it as difficult as practical to make sure that we didn't just jump on issues of the day. We tried that with prohibition, and we had to repeal it. All right. We did not institute a, a, a constitutional amendment against cigarette smoking. And one of the reasons is it takes 38 states to ratify. And then you still have to get a two-thirds majority of both houses. And then you have to get the president to greenlight the deal. So the last time that an amendment in the United States, I think, was the Equal Rights Amendment, 1972 through 75... And it finally died a, a sad death. It made 35 states. They couldn't buy their way through the last three states. I mean, they tried holding elections practically in the middle of the summer to get these things done. And it couldn't go through. So it's very difficult to change the rules of the monopoly game. And that's a good thing. I, I'm glad you care about this situation. I'm glad you care about this issue. But... I, I honestly don't know about changing the Second Amendment. I think I think we can make progress. I may be a little be I may be a little optimistic here, but I think we can make changes without changing the Second Amendment. Because no right is like limitless. Like the First Amendment, you can't just go around saying whatever you want, and and the government cannot arrest you for voicing opinion. But you can't just go and saying, "Oh, I'm I I don't exactly like the way." My hot dog was, so... <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, um, yeah. yeah, we don't... I think we can make changes without changing the Second Amendment, yeah. You have a really good history teacher. Yeah. When's my hot dog coming? <laughs> I've been waiting for an hour. <laughs> Go ahead, Hello. Sir. Uh, my name is Morris Ray, and I know you, young lady, and you, you did a great job on my show. Thank you. Uh, my question is, and I guess, and I, and I was not here for the introduction of the speaker, so I'm talking to you, sir. Uh, are there, any, and if I've missed this, forgive me, but are there any changes to the current laws that are reasonable? I mean, when we talk about, uh, I'm not talking about banning weapons. I'm just saying, isn't it? Can we agree that people who are mentally uh, unstable, people who have a history of violence, should not have easy access to weapons? You do know that we have that already in Ohio. Well, that if, it, you have a, if you have a domestic violence or if you have a, a conviction or an incident, it doesn't even have to be a, convi- a conviction, of an incident involving police, you're immediately redlined from getting a, a concealed carry license. Now, on getting rifles... Or, or long guns, that, that gets a little bit grayer. But um, we, 
and it would be better that we provide the protections that are necessary to get accurate reporting and then hold those people accountable for the accurate reporting than it is to try to write a new law to try to tighten it up because, again, that business principle is liable to kick in, and I'm going to gamble. Do I want to pay a higher insurance premium? Do I want to spend time in court uh, because I made a mistake on reporting somebody? And it would be better that if we, if we just give the uh, professionals the, the uh, protections they need and then enforce the requirement that they report accurately. And, and I'll just one more, and I'm done. I just okay. also uh, today there was a situation in Minnesota at a uh, school where I believe an eighth grader, or no, pardon me, the kid was eight years old, and they brought a knife to school and they slashed several of their fel- fellow students. In the course of doing a talk show, one of the arguments I hear from gun supporters is, well, if they didn't use a gun, they could have used a knife or they could have used a truck. Can we agree that you can inflict a lot more damage? with a high-capacity weapon than you can with a knife? No, I cannot, because ask the, ask the people that made it out of the um, federal building in Colorado. Well, ask the people in Las Vegas if they were stabbed 59 times. But by, mean, the same, <laughs> by the same token, go to China or Japan in incidences of mass murder where they do use box cutters, knives, and swords. So it's, you know, a weapon of mass destruction doesn't necessarily have to be a 30-inch long, black, ugly designed rifle. Yes, sir. But I'll respectfully say and close with saying that I think it's a lot more easy to, to create a higher body count with a, with a weapon of mass destruction. And, that, and I think a, a gun, particularly a long gun, falls into that category much more so than a box cutter. That's, that's an interesting... Um argument that keeps coming up and um the some of the deadliest car terrorist attacks since 2006 there were about 36 vehicular attacks since 2006 that could be considered terrorist it resulted in the deaths of 196 people and 1050 people were injured the worst was in nice france in 2016 when 80 certain people were killed since um 2006 2007 from virginia tech with the um Mass shootings from then till now, 306 deaths and 1,124 people injured. I just wanted to bring that up. From firearms? Yes, from firearms. And most of them were from semi-automatic rifles. Hi, my name is Jewel Thomas. And my question is, is there something in the schools in place like metal detectors or something like that to deter the kids from even trying to bring anything of that nature into the school at all? It's a a case-by-case basis. I know some schools that have gone a bit more, I don't want to say extreme, but have have put things like that in place. So why can't we put, why why can't we do that with all the schools? Uh, Every school district functions separately from one another. So what Youngstown City Schools do is different than what Canfield Schools do or Boardman or where I'm at in Columbiana County. There are 11 school districts. And I know that the superintendents meet at least once a month to talk about what's going on in their districts, and they do share ideas. But already there are three districts in our county um, who have, have said that they are either approving uh, measures to have their teachers armed or they are discussing that. 
And I know, like, our district right now is not discussing that as as something that we are going to do. So those districts very much function on their own. Um, Now, whatever happens in our district will be implemented at every building on our campus, but we don't have any control over what other districts do, nor do they have control over us unless there was some kind of legislation of some sort that would force all schools to have certain measures put into place. Also, what would be the need for the average person to have a semi-automatic rifle? What would be the need for that? I mean, we don't need that to shoot Bambi. No, and, uh, you were kind of looking at me, so let me take the jump on that. I, I, I already said that I, I work with a team on uh, concealed carry. I am not an NRA member, but I am NRA certified. I haven't hunted since I was 20 years old. If you ask the members of our club, I'll bet you 70% of our members do not hunt. We are sports shooting enthusiasts. So what are you shooting with those? We're shooting paper targets. We shoot clay targets. We do simulated hunts. We have gotten several grants from the state of Ohio because of our program in education to bring folks who don't shoot into our facility and let them learn how to fire a gun yeah. for the recreational and um, physical aspects and the socializing aspects of coming to an event. And we kind of treat shooting the same as a bowling league. I mean, do, you, uh, yeah. do you think it should it stay at that kind of facility, though? It shouldn't be in the hands of civilians? Because I think... Um, I, I, I think it should stay at the range or any sporting society. I just don't think civilians. You're talking civil- about using the, the uh, like the, let's, let's bring the monster out of the closet. The AR-15, the, the big bad gun. If I had been a little nervy, I would have brought an fi- AR-15 here tonight and several other ARs so that you could see them. Experiment. Watch this. Supposing now that we've been watching this for a half hour. That 10 hasn't written a damn word. Okay? Now, that's an oversimplification. But let me draw a second analogy for you. How many folks in this room are motorcyclists, ride bikes? Don't, okay, you raised your hand. I really. If you go to, let's say, Geneva on the lake on any given weekend when it's not snowing, which means sometime in August... And you look at the bikes. On any given weekend, there'll be about 2,000 bikes up there. You are not going to find any two bikes that are even close to looking alike. And to the shooting enthusiast, to the sports shooter, that's part of the mystique of the AR-15. I can buy that gun for five or $600. And before I walk out of the store with the gun, the first trip out, I can spend another $500 in options to add to that gun. In Ohio, I'm not going to use that AR-15 as a hunting weapon. It is strictly a target and sport weapon. It has a stepped casing on the bullet. You can only use straight wall bullets in Ohio. So, and of all the ARs that are used in Ohio, I don't want to trivialize it, but really, they're not the violent monster that we paint them to be. A majority By, of the uh, mass shootings, it, that, it, but a majority of these mass shootings that happen, the usually the um, 
the right the weapon that is used is is a semi-automatic rifle but uh, it, of course it does not stop at that weapon no. of course there's problems across the board but this is that's the weapon that's like a majority use and um yeah. with the with the whole um I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little bit controversial with the guns don't kill people people kill people, um, yeah people keep, keep people but you can't just go up to someone and say bang you you need something to assist that and um, if people are the problem then why would you want that problem to have a gun? Um, I, I I'm eating time here and I don't mean to. So this is a, this if, is if you gotta ring the bell or ring the gong go ahead. Um, it won't hurt my feelings too much. Um, concealed carry doesn't allow you to carry an AR pistol. It's, it's not a practical device. And why do I say that it, it forbids you to carry it? Because part of the, the responsibility of concealed carry is concealed. And if you see a print of a firearm on a concealed carry person, they're in violation of the law and they're subject to, um, I think it's a first degree misdemeanor. And that's a pretty serious offense uh, with a pretty big fine and jail time if you get caught at it. So it's not a trivial thing. Uh, a semi-automatic rifle versus a semi-automatic pistol. A 9mm pistol is an effective destroying device that could easily be labeled as a um, mass murdering device. But for some reason it has a better press agent than the AR does. All right? The AR is getting all the bad rap. Hi, uh, Christopher Tennant. I um, seem to, every time there's a conversation about control, gun control, I seem to see or read the argument or hear the argument that other countries have stricter gun laws or make it harder for people to own guns, and they have way less gun violence. I'd love to hear from the panel what your thoughts are on that argument. Yeah, the fact that we have, like, 25 times more, like, Incidents like these in the rest of the world is just insane. Like, how is this? How are we this much? How how is it happening this frequently? I, I, yeah. Okay. I I can't speak for other countries. I don't know a lot about gun laws in other countries. What I will say is that um, as a gun owner, if the government comes to my house and says you need to hand over your guns. I will not be handing over my guns because that scares me and that's why the Second Amendment was put into place, okay? So although I, although I do struggle with instances of gun violence, obviously nobody wants to see somebody else get murdered. I don't want to see my students come to school in fear that they may not make it home alive because somebody might come and shoot them. That is a, a significant problem in this country but I also struggle with that argument that, well, if we take all the guns away, then people won't have guns. Yeah, that's not well, if we take all the drugs away, people are still doing drugs illegally. People are still doing things that are illegal. So I, I, I worry about that argument when I hear it because, again, I'm not handing over my weapons to a government that can then use them against me. Maybe we, that's we all very, agree um, that like you cannot, you should not take away every single gun. We all agree on that. Um, but uh, I'm sorry, I got I got really, really blank. Uh, I think we all agree that um, we can't take extremes on either sides. We. Um, I think we need to find some kind of common ground here. 
the statutory history, statutory history of uh, enforcement of the Second Amendment is well established with the um, definitive answer, I think it was 2008, when the Supreme Court said, yes, you can own a firearm. Now, the firearms that are currently being sold at retail have all met and exceeded the equivalent of an underwriter laboratory test in order to be marketed in the United States as safe. We don't go through that test as individuals, and I'm not sure that I would do that voluntarily anyways. Unfortunately, if the government says you have to turn in your guns, you can bet your bippy that they're going to get those guns one way or the other. So that's a a false sense of security for us to defiantly say from my cold, dead hands. Because somebody's liable to say, okay, all right, so I mean, that's the danger of that. Thank you. My name is Daryl Perez. I live in Austin Town. Nice shirt, dude. Thank you. Uh, And I do believe on it, trust me. Um, There was a question before about uh, a weapon is more deadly than a knife and this and that. I have the FBI report right here. Criminal statistics of the FBI report, okay, for 2016. Actually, I got them all the way from 2011, okay? You know how many deaths happened with a rifle? 2016? Out of uh, 15,000, almost 16,000 murders, okay? Only 374 were done with rifles. You know how many were done with knives? 1,604. It's right here. FBI report, okay? We, my question is, okay, are we basing our, are, are, are we basing what we say on just thinking, wishing thinking, or are we basing it based on a study, any type of study that you have that can prove to me, please bring it up. What's, what's the study again? What's it this called? Is the FBI, it's the FBI. Report. Crime in the United States, FBI report. So my question is, States. I said, what are you basing on what you are arguing about? If it's not a statistic that, that backs it up, show, you know, tell us what your statistics are. Tell us what is it that you have to back up what you're saying. That's all. By and large, the argument right now is being based on emotion. And uh, with the youth movement involved, they have the advantage if they haven't been beaten up by experience. So that's, a lot of the youths may see this as a uh, black and white issue. And part of the slow process that it will be to get some meaningful um, progress in stopping the, the school violence in particular will be that they're going to learn some uncomfortable facts of life and that uh, th- those FBI statistics are valid and, and that uh, they're scary. And if it's a matter of quantity over um, quality, if that's how we're going to phrase it, um, I I think the gun argument is a sad way to go when there are more important issues than the device used. My name is Autumn. I'm from Youngstown. I just have a simple question. Um, 
Why do you believe that mass shootings happen more so in suburban area schools than they do in urban area schools, particularly when you mention things such as uh, gun regulations don't stop criminals from getting guns, and it's already believed that in urban areas many of the children there are criminals or criminal in intended, which is why we walk through metal detectors. So why do you believe that is more frequent? I think I could speak to that a little bit. I teach in a rural district, so it's a little, I mean, a little bit different. But um, I think that for us, it, and this is one thing my students and I have talked about, there's very much the idea that it won't happen to us because of where we are. And, and I mean, that's just, we don't think it's going to happen to us. And that was one thing that we talked about a lot after Parkland happened was, you know, maybe this could happen to us. And I, I think that, and I don't want to go too far into the, down the mental health rabbit hole, but I do think that we have a lot of kids out there who are dealing with a lot of things, a lot of stuff, and it's, it's not being resolved. And so then some of it does manifest itself in, in some of these things, whether it's guns, whether it's knives, whether it's other kinds of violence, we're seeing this angst, this, these mental health issues, whatever the case may be, we're seeing them play out in, in this school violence. And so I think that that's part of it, too, that maybe we as adults, and I will not blame the kids, because, yes, I think kids bully each other. However, I don't believe that we should victim blame the kids because they have enough of their own things to worry about. No, they shouldn't bully, but they also are not mental health professionals to help their peers. But I do think that we as adults are failing kids in a lot of ways, whether it's their parents, their teachers, their guidance counselors, whoever it is. And so we are seeing some of this happen because of that. And I think it's primarily in these suburban or rural districts because those kids are fine. They don't need this help. It's not going to happen to us. I mean, I, I think that that's kind of my take just from where I teach. Hi. My name is Dan Padula. I'm from Weathersfield. Um, first of all, I'd like to say I'm very impressed how professional this has been conducted tonight. I'd like to thank you guys all for being here. Um, my, my first statement, first of all, is to the lady who spoke earlier about the Second Amendment and muskets. And I'd like to remind her that computers and cell phones were written before the First Amendment, and they are still protected under it. Um, my question is this. We hear a lot of politicians, and again, talk about, you know, we're going to enact this law, we're going to enact that law. And I hear the politicians talk about how they will restrict law-abiding citizens from owning guns, but have never come forward with a law that says, how are we going to take guns away from criminals? So my question would be, what new law would you like to see on the books that would take the guns away from the criminals and not penalize the law-abiding gun owners? I would like to see some of the laws that are in existence followed a little bit better. Yes. I, I do think that there are people... Now, again, that's, it's, of course it's a complex issue, right? Like anything. There's not a simple answer. And if I'm throwing out a simple answer, then shame on me. But I do think we have a lot of laws that people get a pass on, depending on who they are or where it happens or when it happens or who's involved. And so I feel like some of this could be taken care of if we just follow the laws that are already there. I, I don't necessarily want other laws in place because I'm also not real big into like big government, but I mean, 
It's, it, that's a hard thing for me. Because you know what? I don't want to have to worry about going out in public and being shot or being whatever, stabbed. But at the same time, too, if, if people, mental health professionals, police, whoever it is that's at fault, if, if people do their jobs, then um, not as many people fall through the, the cracks, maybe. I don't know. And with these people being killed by knives, which is a serious issue, I doubt that they're being killed in as much of a cluster as with uh, even, even a normal gun. I could agree with that. Yeah. yeah. yeah in the, at, at this time, and again, it, it's because the, the Violent Act is also based on convenience and, and um, a certain intelligence on the part of the perpetrator to pick a device that will do the most effective uh, completion of the tasks they've chosen to follow. Yeah, you but if you remove that gun, then there are plans B through Z that that same, cynic, or that same critical thinking may allow that person to do. Well, I'm just tired of... She's chomping at the bit and we're getting close to the time. Oh, oh I'm so sorry. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm going to preface this, um, this remark with John, I'm so glad you made me come out of my shell and stand up here and tell you that as a youth, as a naive youth, I protested against the Vietnam War and I stood up for the elimination of racism. So I think there is a place for, for naivety and I took ex- exception to that remark. My question is to the young lady. It's two-part. One, what would make you feel safer in school? Um, It would make me feel uh, safer in school. Um, Maybe metal detectors, but then again, I really don't want to be in a school where I feel like I'm in a prison. Um, I think we should enact gun um, gun legislation, and we should make sure that people who... I just think we should have like more ex- extensive background te- checks and to make sure that the people who could potentially do harm, serious harm, who has a background of serious crime or mental health, serious mental health issues should not be able to get a high-powered weapon. And number two, what would make you feel safer on the streets? Ooh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a large question. Um, I don't think this, this is this is one of the questions where it's difficult for me to answer because I, I really you. I really don't know because like the streets are a dangerous place. Come on now, and um, but like eliminating every single gun isn't going to do it. But I'm not sure that not doing anything as of now is going to do it either. This is yeah. This is like that. This is a difficult. So that question that she just proposed to you uh, actually cons- go- goes with the question that I was proposing. Um, so I kind of have an answer to it, although I'm supposed to make it a question. And I'm thinking that maybe if we start going to more of a holistic approach in our communities, um, the one lady, she proposed, she asked a question far as why is it more in suburban and less in um, urban. And so my question is we are 
uh, attempting to arm teachers. However, has it been proposed that maybe we need to add something to how our country is going about raising our communities and our youth? Whereas, has it been proposed that maybe we can, instead of just a health check, maybe we can have a mental check, a counseling check, a social work check growing up? And also, how, what makes you safe walking the street? I think it would make it safer if we had more of a holistic approach. So her question was a little bit off when she said, can we just do poems? But in a sense, it kind of makes sense if we holistically touch our kids in maybe supplements, maybe counseling. And I'm just curious to you guys, has that been addressed? Has that been proposed? And maybe we need to change something because like the other girl said, it's really not about color and it's not about communities. It seems as if it's some dysfunctional going on in this country where it's affecting all of our communities. And so has the holistic approach been um, proposed in this country, in these communities? I think a part of it is like the dysfunction of our institutions, a part of it. Yeah. Well, and I, I'll go back to the, the kids marching. Okay, I teach high school. And I get really tired, and I know every generation does it, but I do get tired of hearing, oh, these kids, they don't know anything. They've not, sorry, they've not had any life experience. Because you know what? My students know a hell of a lot more than what people give them credit for. My students know more about politics, more about what's going on in the community, and more about what they need as individuals than what people realize because nobody takes the time to ask them. And so I think that that's part of what you were talking about in your question and in your statement. Yes, I, do I think that kids are naive? Of course. There's no way for them to have the life experience that I've had or that other people have had. I, I understand that. And, and I see some of these kids, you know, speaking at the different marches. And, I, you know, yes, there are things that they don't know about the world. Absolutely. But when we're looking at what is breaking down in our society, maybe the answer lies in what they have to tell us. I do think that there's a bigger problem here that we are missing because we aren't listening to them. Kids protested Vietnam. Guess what? Vietnam ended. Kids protested during the civil rights movement. And guess what? Civil rights acts were passed because of those kids going out and getting arrested. I promise I'm going to get off my soapbox. But I do think that that's a huge piece. <laughs> I do think, though, that that is a huge piece that we're missing. And my students are really smart and they're really insightful. And they have a better conversation about topics like this than any adult because they are not jaded by some of those life experiences. And so they can look at facts, they can look at things, and they can, they can really come up with some great commentary and some great solutions. So I really think that part of the key is there. Also, I really think that our generation is more aware because of the access of information we have today than our pre previous generation. Thank you so much, guys. What they're saying is really important. We focused a lot on guns tonight, and, and obviously that's a huge issue all around the country, not just here in the Valley. But there is something to be said about the fact that Obviously, there's something going on before a child brings a gun into a school, and that is something that probably definitely needs to be addressed. Thank you so much to the City Club of the Mahoning Valley for inviting me here and for inviting all of us here, and um, we had a great night tonight in being able to discuss and being able to be open tonight, and I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Thank you.